Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So there's three things that we're going to go through real quick. Um, The first line of your notes, um, God is using your circumstance. God is using your circumstance. So let's read Philippians 1, chapter 12 and 13. I'll read it out loud in your hearing, and you can read along on your paper um, with us. Ready? Here we go. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So he's in a Roman jail at this point, and he is writing this letter to the people, the believers in Philippi. They sent him a care package. He's writing this letter and sending this information back to them. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in church. Any church folks in here that went to church most of your life? Oh, a couple, two or three. Some of you don't admit it. It's all right. I know you are. Um, I know y'all. I know y'all. Um, uh, you ain't got to lie to kick it. That's probably an old statement, but uh, that's what they told me. Anyway, forget it. Um, but as I, I don't know about you, but when, when I heard people, when I grew up in church, they would say things like this. They'd be going through this hard time and they would be going through this struggle and they'd be going through all this obstacles and things like that. And they'd be like, well, I guess God's going to use it one day. He'll use it for something. And then, you know, out of my churchy mind, I would go, mm-hmm, amen. But when I would get out of the little churchy area, I would think in the back of my mind, really? I mean, is he really going to use that? I mean, is he really going to take the circumstance that you're involved and kind of do something in it? Because I know some people were in a circumstance for a long time. And it didn't seem like anything worked out for them. And so when I read this first, first uh, verse, it seems that he's awfully confident that his pain and imprisonment is furthering or doing something positive for the gospel. And my question from my old mindset would be, how do you know? How does he know that this is something positive? Conventional wisdom would tell me that uh, if he's in prison, he's not free. He can't go out here and preach. He can't get on the speaking circuit of the conferences. He can't go to the churches. He can't go to homes. He can't witness one-on-one. He can't go to the marketplace and tell people about the gospel. So why in the world is he sitting here going, uh, it's good that I'm in jail. It's good that I'm in prison, and it's doing something good for the cause of God. How in the world does that work? So how is it, Paul, how, that he is so sure that these oppressive circumstances circumstances, excuse me, are helping, not hurting the cause of Christ. Then he answers those questions. Letter A. Everyone here, including the whole palace garden, knows I'm in chains because of Christ. So the next line in your notes, Paul makes sure the believers in Philippi who are living in a city designed and occupied by mostly retired Roman soldiers understand he's speaking to the palace guard. So he, he doesn't do this anywhere else. I haven't found anywhere else that he starts mentioning, hey, I'm in jail, and all of the palace guard knows that I'm here. How come he only says that to the people in Philippi? How come he doesn't say that through any of the other letters that he writes? How come he doesn't say that to the people in Galatia or Thessalonica? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he spread that information out there? Because there's something that he wants them to know. 
See, the people in Philippi, because it's a retired Roman soldier community, they understand who the palace guard is. See, the palace guard was made up of members of, of this uh, a group called the Praetorian Guard. They are like uh, special ops, special forces, black ops. These are the guys who are, the uh, next line in your notes, these were elite Roman soldiers. And it was highly prestigious to be chosen as one of these Praetorian Guards. These guys had all kinds of jobs. They were like Swiss Army knives. They were even backup fire department people. Like, so if the fire, whoever was handling fires, you know, in that area, um, if, if there was an extra need for extra hands, they sent the Praetorian Guard. They were trained how to be firemen. They were also used as crowd control during the, the Colosseum events. I, I worked security at, a, at the uh, Cardinal Stadium um, uh, a few years back. I was on the field, and let me tell you, that was the most interesting experience of my life. There were so, the people, what people do when they get a couple in them, you know what I'm talking about? Man, it is crazy. The guy who walked in with a full red demon hat and a red jersey and two Bud Lights like this and growled at everybody when they walked in two hours before the game start. Yeah, so I'm looking at this going, oh, I got you on this one, bro. I, I, I feel you on this one. There's some crazy people out in them stands. So there's some crazy people, and they're out there doing guard duty. They're so highly skilled and trained that oh, every once in a while, the emperor, who they're loyal to, says, hey, get out of the crowd, jump in the ring, and they had fights till the death. And these Praetorian Guard members would wind up winning and massacring all these people for the sport of the people in the Colosseum. They were elite soldiers. But that's all the extra stuff they did. The core of what they did is this. They were especially close to the emperor. Regularly in the palace, they performed undercover police work, provided security for some of the emperors they traveled on the campaign trail doing politics, and were highly trained and skilled. These guys were the real deal. Massive, massive influence. While in prison, next on your notes, Paul was directly chained to a guardsman during the entire time he was imprisoned. Uh, uh, Grace, we come here real quick? Just stand here right next to me. If I were to chain myself to Grace and follow her around for the next 30 minutes, I don't know if I'd think it. Like, she's running back and forth from the children's building. She's over here. She's with her friends. She's going in the back. She's grabbing something to eat. She's like, oh, I want to go over here. And she sits down and goes on her phone and go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I'd be worn out in about nine minutes and be like, let me go of this girl. Thank you, right? And then if, uh, if, if she were to come over here and be chained to me, she'd be like, this is boring. <laughs> let me go. This, but understand that in this prison, it's kind of like an like a amplified house arrest. Paul is literally chained one-on-one -on -one to one of these guardsmen. He's chained to him. Paul, at this point, could easily think, hey, this is a, I'm wasting my purpose here. I had um, somebody who was a good friend of ours um, who called us about four or five years ago before we were doing the church and before we were, you know, doing anything ministry-wise. He called us and said, hey, man, just been thinking about you guys. What are you doing as far as ministry goes? I'm like, the Lord told me to stop, so we stopped. And I was 
listening to his response, and he said something that shocked me that I wish he wouldn't have said, but he said, oh, what a waste. And I thought for a second, he's right. And then something kicked in my heart to be like, hey, 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 if God told me to stop, it's not a waste of time. If you followed the Lord into a hard scenario, if you're Paul and you followed the Lord and wound up in prison, it is not a waste. For me, it would be very easy to, to go, man, my purpose isn't being fulfilled here. I should be speaking. Let me out of here. I'm not guilty of any of this stuff. And Paul had the opportunity, because he's flesh and blood like you and me, he had the opportunity to, to take on that attitude and approach to say, this is a waste. Why am I here? I don't deserve this. All I did was follow God. I did exactly what you said, and here I am getting punished for it. I did everything that you led me to do, and now I'm in prison. This ain't fair. How does this work? But the next line in your notes is key because Paul saw beyond his negative circumstance and saw the larger plan of God in action. The most highly skilled highly trained, most influential, highest prestige soldiers were chained to Paul hours and hours every day. The guy who is tasked with evangelizing the world and spreading the gospel to people who aren't Jews, Gentiles, he now has a captive audience, literally, that can't get away from him, that he's saying, hey, you were here for the last 12 hours. I'm trading off to this soldier. You're tied to me now. Let me start at the beginning and tell you about Jesus. He had an opportunity to go, this is terrible. Why me? Or he looked at it from God's perspective and said, God can use my circumstance. He can see beyond the, the, the negative emotion and the pain that he feels at the moment. And he says, uh, because of Paul's imprisonment, it was, he was able to evangelize key members of the palace guard who were or would become Praetorian guard members. He says not one or two people know from the guard know he's here. He says the whole palace guard knows that I'm in prison for Christ. He just witnessed to every single special ops soldier in Rome because he was in prison. God is using your current circumstance if you obeyed and followed him into something and you are experiencing some kind of hardship. He is using that to do something you probably might not be able to see at the moment. Stay there. Don't gripe. Don't whine and be faithful where he put you. Because you have no clue the ripple effect of your obedience is going to have. And because of him, the gospel of Jesus Christ was on the heart, mind, and lips of the entire special ops, for the special forces uh, guards that were in the palace daily and had the ear of the emperor. How in the world would he do that another way? you imagine walking up to the guys who are most prestigious in the military and being like, hey, bro, let me talk to you about Jesus for eight hours? They're going to be like, uh, pound sand, bro, I'm leaving. They had no choice but to sit there and hear the gospel. God put him in prison in a negative circumstance on purpose. 
How is he so sure? That was the first way. Then he answers it again. He says, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's letter B. How does he know this? He's under house arrest. He can't leave because people from the outside are coming inside and saying, hey, man, everyone's gotten word that you are in jail for, for no reason. You're not guilty of anything except professing Christ. And because you did it, they all stood up and now they're emboldened to talk about Jesus. It's amazing to me how the, the nature of humanity doesn't change over thousands of years. Somebody there in that time frame, almost more than 1,900 years ago, is afraid to make a step until they see somebody make the step first. Uh, that is applicable today. I don't want to be the first one. If you don't believe this, go to a, your nearest youth group, come to my house on Friday nights for youth group, and when we all stand in a circle, go, okay, who wants to pray? Let me go to the bathroom. There's people who do that. So wait for them to come back, and then they have to pray. It's awesome. So um, <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little joke. Um, somebody wants somebody to make a step first. Okay, so let me, let me, let me show you how this works. Um, I have got, I got five bucks here. I got two of them. I'll keep this one for later. I got five bucks, okay? Who would like five dollars? Who would like $5? Okay, okay, okay. Who would like $5? Anybody want five bucks? Anybody want five bucks? Okay, okay, stay right here, stay right here, stay right here. Very good, very good, very good. Yeah, yeah, George, it's yours. Okay, all right, now, now. Okay, who wants five bucks? Okay, okay. Okay, 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 okay. Now, right here, let me tell you something. Everybody in the room, except Nicole, because she knew what I was doing. Um, she's seen this 900 times. Um, except for Nicole. Everybody in this room went, uh, should I go? Is it worth five bucks? I know. You were sleeping, so that's why you didn't get it. But he, go, but he goes, but look, everybody in the room, everybody in the room said, I want to. Am I supposed to go? I don't know. I don't understand. It went. And then you went, shoot, I'll go get it. And, okay, look, so, so if I were to put a timer, it would take probably a minute, minute and a half for somebody to finally go, get up here. And the next time I pulled it out, it took three seconds for somebody to jump up. Listen, listen. Because you decided to move. Nope. No, no, wait, wait. Because you decided to move, other people decided to take a chance and move. You led today. Good job. <clears throat> Anita, make sure they drive you through the dollar menu on the way home. <clears throat> Just kidding. Most people are waiting for someone to go first. Most people don't like being the tip of the spear. Most people don't like being that person. It's like, if I go out there, it might look dumb. And there's some people in this room who went, dang it, I should have got up and went, mm-hmm, you should have. You got another five in there? Because the next time you do that, dude, I'm tackling you. <laughs> right. Don't wait. 
if the Lord opens an opportunity for you, business, fine, whatever, if the Lord opens an opportunity for you to share the gospel, pull the trigger, don't hesitate, take the step. Because my guess is, in most every room that you're in, there's somebody else who went, man, if that's all it took, I can do that. And the next time, they're going to be inspired to move. How does he know this is happening? How does he know this is a good thing that he's in prison? He sees the movement because he stepped forward and did it first. And now all of these people are out in places that he could not go alone, spreading the gospel with boldness instead of going, ooh, who will go first? He said, I'll just go. I would love RCC to be full of people who just go. Tip of the spear, people. Will you make a mistake? Yes, and there's grace for you. But if your goal is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, I guarantee you that when you open that door the first time, it's going to be easy for you the next time and easy for everybody else when they saw somebody had the courage to go first. God will use your circumstance. Point number two. Oh, let me go back real quick. Reflection questions. I put these questions in your notes so you can take them home and maybe ask yourself these questions or pray on them a little bit or think about them in your quiet time with the Lord. Have we considered what the Lord might be doing through our current trying circumstance? The one that we hate and wish we could get out of? Have we considered that he might be doing something we can't see? So next time when the complaint wants to roll off your lips and out of your mouth, stop and just say, God, are you using this for something? Let me see it differently. And the second thing is, what do I feel compelled to do for the gospel? What have I been afraid to move on, but I think it's time for me to make a step on? Point number two, God prioritizes his purpose. God prioritizes his purpose. We're gonna, I'm going to read uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 14 through, 14 through 19 out loud here really quick for us, okay? It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Excuse me. Those others... Um, Those others do not have pure motives as they teach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. If I were to tell you that I didn't struggle over what I'm about to share with you and what I'm about to say, I would lie. Because I've wrestled with this all the way up until probably before an hour before I walked in this building. Because I'm going to say something to you that's probably very real for most of you. It is for me. And you're going to have to hear it not through some childish, sophomoric lens. You're going to have to hear it for what it actually is. 
You're going to have to hear it for what I'm telling you and not what you go, well, what is he saying? No, stop. Listen. Because this is a tough one. There are many great people out there who admittedly make mistakes, but there are many great people who were out there preaching Christ with pure motives. They do it for souls to be one, to bring the hope of Jesus to others, and further the, the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self. There are many, many, many great people out there who do that. And we will never hear about them. There are also many people out there preaching the gospel for selfish reasons. They do it for notoriety, for fame, for selfish ambition, for to take the spotlight, to look at me, look at me. They do it for the wrong reason, the wrong motive. My guess is, especially if you've opened up an a, a, a internet app in the last nine months in this country, you can probably name two or three highly prominent people who, who were pastors or ministers who fell apart morally. Cheated on their wife, if you don't know what that means. Um, lived a completely uh, undercover lifestyle that was not consistent with Scripture while preaching the gospel. This is a sad and unfortunate reality. And the reason that it's wildly impactful for us is because in the same way that it was in Paul's time is the same way today people are looking for other people to believe in. They're looking for somebody else. And in the church world, it's the pastor, it's the worship leader, the, the youth pastor, the associate minister the, minister, the staff member, the elder, whatever those titles are. They're looking to them to say, hey, man, he's doing good. I thought this was really good because he was telling me all this stuff. And then this dude wound up telling me what was right and what's in the Bible. But several years later, uh, he falls apart. And there is a definite hurt that happens in that scenario. And the reason we're hurt is because our hope partly was in man. I know this to be true because I have done this more than once. I have done this more than twice. Paul is sitting in prison saying and identifying there's a group of people out here who are preaching the gospel for the real right reason, and there's a group of people over here who are preaching it with impure motives. And at this point, the loyal part of me wants to stand up and go, let's go get those suckers who are doing the unpure stuff. Let's drag them out of their churches and make them go work in corporate America or do something. You know what I mean? Get out of the ministry. You're making us look bad. Stop doing all this stuff. All the, they, 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 they're the high-profile ones, right? Or they at least become high-profile after they fall morally. And there's all these things, and it negatively impacts people. I'm not denying that at all. But look at what Paul does because I don't know if I got the guts or bravery to respond like he responds i want to go light those fools up let's get them get rid of them 
take him out of the ministry. I don't know who decides that, but let's form a council, something. Somebody's got to say, you got to go, right? Because you're not following the gospel. You're not acting in the ways that are lining out with Scripture, or at least you're not anymore. But after hearing that people are out there talking garbage about him and preaching the gospel with selfish ambition, he doesn't tell the people to go round them up and do something to them and rain down on their head. No, he says this, that doesn't matter. There's part of me that goes, yeah, bro, it kind of does. And there's a part of me that goes, wait, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through him. If I have a problem with that, I got a problem. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. He's not drawing lines in the sand. He's not saying, which side are you on? He's simply happy the gospel message is being preached. And if I'm honest, I don't like that. But here's the truth. The perfect message of the gospel is communicated through flawed and imperfect people. And if you don't believe that to be true, um, open your eyes and look at me because I am the definition of that. More so than maybe anybody in this room. Matt, you got some really crazy, wildly immoral past? Uh, I was worse. I was a Pharisee. God gave, forgave people in the Bible who were immoral quickly, just told them to stop doing what they were doing, you know, let his spirit reside in them, forgiveness, and then move on and go and sin no more, right? The woman who's drugged from the bed of caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. But he was most harsh with the religious people who had pride and jealousy in their heart. And my friends, I don't know if I've not told you this enough, but that was me. And God still says, Matt, that unperfect, flawed man that you are, I'm still going to use a flawed individual to present the perfect truth of the gospel. Matt, is that even biblical? Uh, Next few lines in your notes, ready? God used a man with a stuttering problem as the primary mouthpiece of Pharaoh. Anybody know who that is? Moses. God used a prostitute to help his children invade a city in the Old Testament. Anybody know who that is? Rahab. God used a murderer and an adulterer to become the greatest king of Israel. This is easy. Who is that? David. God used a man who ran in the exact opposite direction to bring repentance to an entire city. 
Jonah. God used a man with suicidal thoughts to call fire from heaven. Elijah. God used someone who literally denied Jesus multiple times to start his church. Peter. God used a man who murdered Christians to spread the gospel to the Gentiles and write the book that we're studying right now. Paul. Okay, well, you showed me what was in the Bible, but how does that work today? God used a drug dealer to get my wife into a place where she could hear the gospel. I'm not saying that you and I have a pass to act immorally. I can do what I want. God's going to fix it. He'll just come in here. No, 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 no. As believers in Christ, we are supposed to respond the way Jesus commands I'm not telling you it's okay to do all those things. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying that if someone that you saw um, who, who made these kind of massive mistakes still needs to even be in ministry. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God will use who he wants, when he wants, how he wants to accomplish what he wants. And if that means taking a rehabilitated Pharisee and telling him to go do the thing he didn't want to do so I could deliver the message of the gospel to you, then so be it. The perfect message of the gospel is coming out of somebody who is wildly flawed. I got saved and called to ministry in a church, little, smaller church in um, uh, Central Florida where I grew up. My family went to that church for a number of years, and after a number of years, uh, the pastor there was caught. My dad was on the board. He was a head board member, and he was caught stealing money. My dad approached him. It was a big mess, a lot of mudslinging, screaming, yelling, hollering, you know, from there. And my dad didn't know what to do because he'd never seen him act that way. And then that man tried to bribe my father with money and a job in ministry if he would keep the whole thing quiet. It's a bitter pill for my dad to swallow. He rejected that offer. We had to leave. It was, detri- it was devastating to me because I was just all involved in everything they were doing. It was the only thing I was allowed to do. Um, and, there, and after all that came out, there was a span of time where I said, you know what? Forget all of y'all. Uh, that's the dude we're supposed to be looking at? That's the guy who we're supposed to be following and doing what he says, and he's dipping in the offering buckets in the back to the tune of almost six figures? Paying off cars and homes and vacations and brand new suits, and he's looking all good. Wait, what? Uh, no thanks. And I willingly walked away from the truth because my faith was in the flawed mailman and not in the author of the message. 
the worst time of my life away from God. We have done literally eternally life-changing work in ministry to say, wait, we as me and Nina, whose leaders eventually had uh, major moral failings that were uncovered after we left. My guess is I'm not the only one who's heard this story. My guess is I'm not the only one who's got a scar from a story like this. My guess is I'm not the only one who um, can relate to this scenario. But if I allow the actions of a fallen human being in some type of quote-unquote spiritual leadership position to detract me or cause me to abandon my faith in Christ, then it is the equivalent of allowing the enemy to rob me of priceless, precious, eternal treasures and applaud him as he walks out the door. If I allow the actions of an imperfect person to rob me of what I know to be true, and that is the message of Jesus Christ, if I allow that, if I, if I willingly just go, you know what, forget it. I don't even want to do this anymore because I did that. It's like I'm allowing someone to walk into my home, take everything that's wildly precious, spit in my face, kick me in the shin, and when they walk out the door, go, good job. I'm applauding the work of the enemy as he steals what's most precious from me, and that was my faith in Jesus. Do the failures of men in ministry positions who showed their flawed character negate the eternal work that God did in you? No. And that's in your notes to remind yourself, no. Did what those guys do to my family, was it right? No. Will they answer to God for what they did because people who sit in the position that I'm in are, are, are um, held to a higher standard and a higher level of scrutiny? Yes. But did that mess up make the truth that came through their imperfect lips untrue? No. I told you it was a rough one. What Paul is showing the believers in Philippi and us today is the eternal message and purpose of Almighty God may come across the lips and through the actions of very flawed men and women. And I'm not telling you that that is, oh, I'm just going to get over it. Mm -mm. I'm not telling you to sweep it under the rug. I'm not telling you that at all. What I am imploring you to do is to take the faith that we have away from a person and make sure all of our faith is rooted in Jesus. One of the men who fail morally and uh, and he was uncovered within the last several months, it broke my heart. 
one of them I was like, that stinks. Because I didn't really follow him or pay attention a lot. But then one that I did know uncovered a whole bunch of nonsense. And when at that position, at that point, we have a choice to make. That's why I said we got to hear this with grown-up, mature ears. Are we going to take the fact that the timeless, eternal word of God was presented to us and throw the truth of the gospel away because I don't like how this guy ended his story. Paul willingly ignores the fact that people are preaching with selfish ambition and celebrates the message about Jesus going out to the world. Anybody in here last year get a stimulus check? Almost everybody who's got a job, right? How many of you sent it back because of the questionable character of the person who sent it to you? How many of you sent it back because the questionable character of the president who signed the bill who sent it to you? How many of you are planning to get another round of stimulus here in a couple months if they can give or get their act together and sign the bill? How many of you are going to send it back because of the questionable character of the current president? Are any of y'all sending it back? Why? Because just because the vessel that delivered it was flawed doesn't mean that what was delivered should be abandoned. That one just hit me. I don't know if I can. I might have to go back and listen to that one. I'm not saying that those men's failures and those women's failures and those leaders' failures should not be addressed and healed from and called out. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you should not abandon your faith because of the moral failings of somebody else. Paul makes this wildly clear when he takes this path and he takes this position. Because why? God prioritizes his purpose. And he'll use whatever flawed person, me included, to deliver the truth of his gospel. Reflection question for later on for you. Am I wavering in any truth about God because of someone else's failure? Have I stopped giving money because that guy robbed that church? So in essence, he kind of robbed me. Do I not even go except for Easter and Christmas anymore? Y'all are, you've, you've already beat that, right? You're here on a, in a, on a, so it's not really for you. It's for people online. For people, let's do it later. Do I not come very much because I can't stand to see those guys because every time I see a preacher, I go, oh, there's just some gross thing that's underneath there that I know I'm going to find out. Is there something I'm not doing because of someone else's imperfect action? Point number three, it's the last one. Thanks for letting me uh, have a hard one there. I'm discussing a hard subject. Number three, prayer works. Prayer works. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. This will be the, the last verse in Philippians we're in for the day. 
For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. I never saw this before. He identifies, Paul identifies two things that will lead to his deliverance. The prayers of people in the Spirit of Christ. There's been some time within the last several years and maybe even several months where I've had to reconcile with myself what's the purpose of prayer. Is it to kind of make me feel better? Is it kind of to, you know, I was taught young that prayer moves the hand of God, but I prayed and he didn't move. So <laughs> throw that one out. <clears throat> I mean, like, what happens? But here Paul is saying that there is a two-pronged approach for people to be delivered, and that is this, to pray and have the Spirit of God intervene on that, on that prayer's behalf. Next on your notes, God moves on our requests when we pray continually in faith and according to the will of God. What does that mean? Does that mean that you know, I hear a lot of people say, you know, you know, what I'm about, especially in the South, right? Let me pick on all the, the boys from my hometown, right? You know, what are we about? Faith, family, food, football. And it depends on the day, and those orders can be switched. Sometimes if the faith is at the bottom, and the football is at the top. Sometimes the, foot, the food is at the top, and the football is kind of in the middle. It shifts depending on what's going on in the culture, right? But faith when we pray, is not faith in faith. Just because you believe something, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's faith in God. We have been taught incorrectly, just believe. Okay, go up on the roof of this building and believe really hard that you're going to fly to the roof of the next building. Don't do this. Yes, yeah, thank you. This is a lawsuit waiting to happen. It's a joke, people. Like, it's a metaphor. Don't do that. And everybody in here knows that's ridiculous. But you believed? That's how people approach prayer. That is going to be mine. I believe it. Mm-mm. I'm asking the God who knows better than me that I have faith in him to say I'm asking for that and my faith is in you to know if that thing right there is not good for me, if that relationship is not good for me, if that direction is not good for me, you're going to intervene and tell me don't go that direction, don't get involved here, don't go after that thing. I want you to stop because I'm having faith in him, not faith in just because I believe. And when the faith turns from this weird, like, I believe, when it goes away from that and it becomes to a strong belief that God can, he will, and he answers the prayers of his children, what begins to happen, we start praying for things the way he wants us to pray for things, not from a selfish position. And when we do that, you're going to find that prayer works. Colossians 4, 2-3. This is Paul talking to a whole other group of believers in a different city. Devote yourselves to prayer 
with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Look what he's asking them to do. Pray for us that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. If you want an opportunity to share the gospel with the people around you, simply stop before you go into the office, before you go into your job, before you go into wherever it is that you call work, and say, God, give me an opportunity, because Paul himself is praying this prayer. And as an example to the people in Philippi and us today, Pray and watch God answer it because it's his will that all should come to repentance. It's his will that everyone should respond to the gospel. So why is he not going to open the door for you to be a vessel to accomplish his purpose? My friends, prayer works. I am sitting here today as a testament that prayer works because when I was in the midst of that crazy time where I blamed all of the the problems on that other pastor, I didn't want to be involved in it anymore. I was angry. I was hateful. I was rebellious. I was all up in my feelings. I was just uh, in my head. I just was where I wanted to be, not where anybody else wanted to be. And I remember we were living in this um, kind of a loft style home. All the stuff was upstairs and the garage was downstairs along with one bedroom where my parents were and I walked down the stairs and I heard something and I stopped and it was my mom weeping. God save my son. God save my son. I don't know why we're at odds at the moment, but God saved my son and I sat there on those steps and I listened to her weep and cry out to God for me. Walked down to my 1977 Firebird that was teal with the big white Starsky and Hutch racing stripe down the side and across the roof. If you don't know who Starsky and Hutch is, you're a child. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> Google them. Um, I walked down, and as I drove away, there was something that sat in my soul that was like, what am I doing? Her and my grandmother would meet at different times, call each other and say, let's pray for Matt right now. You're looking at a product of prayer. My guess is I'm looking at the product of some prayer in this room as well. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Did you hear that last line? This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Last line in your notes. God's will for us as believers is to have joy, gratitude, and to pray. What's God's will for my life? Joy, gratitude, prayer. Start there last reflection question for you is this. What have we stopped praying for because we haven't yet seen the results? What have we stopped praying for because we haven't seen it answered yet? And we got tired and does this even work and why am I praying? Pray without ceasing.
continually go back to the door of your father, knock on it, and walk through. You're not, you're not in a, um, a work relationship with the CEO of heaven. You are in a family relationship with a heavenly father who said, everything stops when my son and my daughter walk in the room. Walk in the room. Pray. Ask him and watch what he does.